Today we're going to be in a, a parable that I'm sure you've heard before. Uh, however, it's a parable that, that I'm convinced is the most misunderstood parable in, in all of the Bible. Before we do, I'm going to tell you a story. So I need you to make sure you're awake. Did you make sure you're paying attention? If not, you got to at least fake it. Right? So we're going to do a little time travel again. We're going to go back in time a couple thousand years. And we're going to find ourselves in the city of Palms. And that is not Las Vegas. That's Jerusalem. And we're going to find ourselves within the walls of Jerusalem. And as we look over there, we see a guy named Jacob. And Jacob has a big smile on his face. And he's standing in the main bazaar of Jerusalem. And he's putting some money in his money belt with a giant grin. See, Jacob's a carpenter. And Jacob just sold the last of his goods that he brought from his home in Jericho up to Jerusalem. And he made a lot more money than he thought he was. This was his most successful carpentry trip ever to go and sell his wares. In fact, he has advances on some works that people want him to make based on relationships he's been building. And he's been paid uh, in part for these um, works he's been commissioned to do. He's just thrilled beyond belief. He pulls his robe back over his money belt, ties it off, and he heads to the city gate on his way home to Jericho. Now from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about 18 miles and it drops about 3,200 feet in elevation and it's a barren road and is uh, known as the bloody way to people there because of the attacks and assaults that take place on this road. But Jacob isn't worried about this, isn't even thinking about it. He's got this grin on his face, his mind is somewhere else, and he's got, he's got a, a skip to his step based on how excited he is. And as he leaves the city gate, he falls into a natural cadence of steps. The rhythm is so natural, he's not even thinking about it. He's just thinking about how successful he was and seeing his wife and kids again and giving them the gifts he's bought for them that are going to surprise them with the extra money that he had. And, and off he goes with this grin ear to ear, really having no idea where he is, but on his 18-mile journey back home, and the next thing you know, it all goes black. You see... As Jacob passed by this, this turn, there's a large rock, and a guy came out from behind the rock with a large wooden club and struck him in the back of the head. Knocked him out cold. Three other guys came out as well, and they stripped the clothes off of Jacob that they could sell or use for themselves. They left him half naked. There was blood pooling around his head, and they ripped off his money belt before the blood got that low on his body, and they took it, and they took off. They left him for dead. There was no way he was going to live. They had his money. They had his clothes because they had been watching him for a few days. They, they saw this guy from out of town. They didn't know he was from Jericho, but they assumed when they saw him leaving that way. And they saw how much money he was making. And they saw how much he was putting in his belt. And, and they couldn't believe their luck when they watched him all by himself leave the city. What kind of fool would leave the city all by themselves to go down the bloody way? But they ran ahead and they hid behind a rock. And when he came around all by himself, mindlessly whistling, thump. They whacked him. And they took off. And, and the next thing we, we see and we hear is, is this still body that was unconscious give out this dull, oh. You see these eyes open after a while with crusty blood around them. And, and Jacob feels wetness just all over his body. And, and he knows what it is before too long. He doesn't know exactly what happened, but he figures it out with just the sheer pain in the back of his head and his blurred vision. And and he feels wind blowing on him unnaturally and looks and he sees he's half naked and he knows it's not going to be there, but he reaches and his money belt is gone. He can't believe how stupid he was. Why, why would he go by himself? Why wasn't he paying attention? How could he be so dumb? He's going to die. He's on a desolate road off to the side. No one's going to come by. This is it. But by chance, a priest 
He can't believe his good fortune. You see, a lot of priests lived in Jericho at this time. They would travel to Jerusalem for quote-unquote business in the temple, and then they'd go home when they were done. And a priest is coming, and it's not like the priest has to remain ceremonially clean to go to the temple. He's going the other way. Can't believe his good fortune, but the priest sees him, hears him moan, and, and goes to the other side of the road and passes by. This is it. He's never going to see his wife and his kid again. It's, he's going to die in the wilderness and be picked apart by scavengers. No one's going to know what happened, but by chance, a Levite. I mean, it's not a priest, but it's pretty darn close. A Levite comes by and same thing. God, how could you be so cruel? I know I wasn't paying attention, God, but how could you let a priest and a Levite leave me to die? Who's going to take care of my wife, my kids? What is going to become of them? And then as he's, he's fading out and his, his vision is turning to black, it seems God is incredibly cruel because God sends a Samaritan down the road, an enemy, a half-breed. The Jews and Samaritans hate each other. Jacob's about to die, but before he dies, he's going to have somebody spit on him and throw rocks at him, probably. How, 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 how could this happen? And the Samaritan comes closer, and he knows he's going to be spit on. He knows he's going to be kicked or something. What a way to go. But, but the Samaritan stops, kneels down, and has compassion on him. Makes no sense. This is his enemy. Why? He pours oil on him. He, he, he cleans him up. He puts him on his donkey. And as Jacob has no idea where he's going, as he's on the back of a donkey, fades out of consciousness, but he knows he's going to live. He comes back too in the morning and he finds himself in an inn. He doesn't quite know where it is. He doesn't know who brought him there other than it was a Samaritan. And as he starts to roll around, the innkeeper comes and he must have heard him. And he says to him, where's the, where's the Samaritan? He says, he's gone, but he's paid your bill. He's paid everything you need. It's all taken care of. You just lay down, you get better, whatever you need is yours. A few days later, Jacob finally gets home to Jericho. You could imagine the relief in his wife's eyes. There were no cell phones back then. Where was he? He has no money. His clothes look different. He's bruised beyond belief, but he's back home. Several months go by, and his hands heal so he can work with them again, and he makes some more wood, uh, woodworks. He brings him to Jerusalem, but this time he's not going to be a fool. He travels in a pack. He sells all his stuff. He gets more commissioned work for the future. He's got a full money belt, but he's traveling with others. He's not going to be beaten and left for dead again. And He leaves the gate, happy but not quite as happy as last time because he knows what road he's about to travel. And believe it or not, folks, as he's coming down almost the exact same spot, he hears, oh, there's a guy on the side of the road. He's beaten, he's bloody, he's half naked. And Jacob knows what happens. He is a spice trader he saw in Jerusalem. And the guy was doing the same foolish things Jacob was doing. His money was too visible. He was too all by himself. And as they approach, the crowd Jacob's going with moves to the other side of the road. And naturally, Jacob goes with the crowd. But a part of him says, no, you fool, you have to stop and help. But it could be messy to help. And you know what Jacob does? I don't know. You see, what I just told you is a fictitious account of what? The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan is probably one of the best known and least misunderstood, least misunderstood, there's good grammar, one of the best known and most misunderstood parables in all the Bible. Jacob is the guy on the side of the road. 
the Samaritan is the good Samaritan from the story. We don't know what really happened to the guy to get him in this situation, but there is a possibility. Historically, culturally speaking, there was a place called the Bloody Way. It was the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. It was 18 miles. It dropped 3,200 feet, and people got busted up pretty bad on that road. It would seem that, that the account I shared could, could have been a possibility, but it's really irrelevant. What I want to do today is dig a little deeper into that parable. I want to answer the question of what Jacob did from our perspective, but I want to put it in context. Let me read for you the parable. Let's unpack it a bit, and let me share with you what, uh, what I came across this week. I'm in Luke chapter 10. I am in verse 25, and I read, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, him being Jesus, obviously, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now we read that parable, and what do we think? Oh, we're supposed to be a good Samaritan. Someone's on the side of the road, you stop and help them, right? Show of hands. Who's ever stopped to help somebody on the side of the road? Bloody person on the side of the road. <laughs> Naked person on the side of the road. I've never seen it. <laughs> Is that, if you did, would you stop and help? Now careful with your answer. I'll, get, I'll unpack that a bit for everybody. Is what Jesus is saying that we're supposed to stop and help people on the side of the road? Is that the parable of the Good Samaritan? Watch. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test. What kind of lawyer is this? I won't comment negatively on lawyers because I know one sitting here who I have a relation with, father-in-law, so lawyers are great people on occasion. A lawyer in these times was not a, a lawyer, not someone who went to law school per se, these are theologians. For the Jews, what was the law? What is an expert in the law? Think rabbi. A rabbi, a theologian, stood up to put Jesus to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is where Jesus is supposed to say, Well, my son, you can be saved by grace through faith and not by works, so that no one can boast. See, I am Jesus, I am the Messiah. If you believe in me, you'll have eternal life, right? That's what Jesus should say, no? What does Jesus say? Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? What's it say? Expert in the law? Guy says to him a perfectly accurate answer. Well, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus says, you're right. If you can do that, you go to heaven. You do understand there is another way to heaven besides Jesus. Keep the law perfectly. If you, make, if you never sin, if you never break God's law, you could go to heaven. Yeah, it works. The problem is you're born in sin, oops, and you will sin throughout your life, so that route's not going to cut it for any of us. So Jesus came. But he, but the, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, what it's saying is, the lawyer knew he couldn't keep the law perfectly. He's not an idiot. He says to Jesus, all right, where's the loophole, dude? Love the Lord you got with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. All right, so let's start here. Who's my neighbor? Jesus says, I got a story for you. He tells him the story of the guy who's whooped on the side of the road. The priest you would expect to stop doesn't. The Levite you would expect to stop doesn't. And the Samaritan you would expect to stop doesn't. Jesus' story isn't about stopping to help people because you understand who the good Samaritan is in this story. It ain't you. You're not called to be a good Samaritan. Jesus is saying to the theologian and he's saying to us, you know who you are? You're the busted up guy on the side of the road. You know who I am? I'm the good Samaritan. Now, for the theologian, this is a guy not in a right relationship with God. If he had eyes that had been open to see and ears that had been open to hear, he would have understood, whoa, I can't keep the law. He would say, he would say Jesus, I can't do that. And Jesus would say, ah, now you see, you're sick. But I came to heal the sick and save the lost. And the guy would say, Heal me! Save me! And he would say, your faith has saved you. But that's not what this theologian said. He wanted the loophole to blow her the bar. But what about us? As Christians, as people who have been saved, as people who know the Good Samaritan for who he really is, what does this have to do with us? Nothing! Close it up, let's go. Or does it have something to do with us? How do we take this parable? How do we go a little deeper? May I attempt to show you what I think? First thing you need to understand is you were the guy on the side of the road. Now we know this on an intellectual level, but let's be reminded of it because that's very important. The term is called re-evangelization. We got to be re-evangelized. We got to hear the gospel over and over and over again because if we don't, we start to think, yeah, I'm a good Samaritan. We forget, no, you're the dirty, busted up, bloody person dead on the side of the road. We were. We weren't physically beaten with a club, but the Bible tells us we were dead in our sins, right? We weren't physically a bloody mess, but we were, we were half dead. We were more than half dead. We were on our way to an eternity separated from God. Do you remember what the Jews called Jesus? Remember when they referred to him once as a Samaritan? Insulting him? A demon-possessed Samaritan? And he said, I'm not possessed by a demon. Remember that? This is a theologian. This is a, one of those Jews. Jesus said, hey, remember when you called me a Samaritan? <laughs> Let me tell you a story about a Samaritan. We need to remember that we were bloodied and busted up on the side of the road, and who came along to help us? Our arch enemy. You understand? God was our arch enemy. We were separated from God by sin. We were enemies of God, and while we were still sinners, a.k.a. enemies, Christ died for us. Before we came to faith, all we wanted was God to get away from us. We wanted God dead. We wanted to play the role of God ourselves. We wanted to sit on the throne. And who does he think he is to claim a right to the throne we sit on? And what did he do? He didn't come down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He came down from heaven, and he didn't ride on a donkey named whatever, Bessie. He rode on a donkey named Grace, a la the title of the sermon. And he had compassion on us while we were still in our sins, and he knelt down. He didn't put oil and wine on her head. 
He healed us of our sins and he lifted us up and put us on his donkey named Grace and carried us home and restored us and brought us into a new relationship with him and our enemy became our friend. You guys, me, we were the ones on the side of the road. Jesus didn't pay the innkeeper for a couple days stay. He paid the price of our penalty. He paid the price of our separation for God and gave us a full recovery and restoration. That's pretty cool stuff. But remember, you're not the good Samaritan. You're the busted up guy on the side of the road. Let's not stop there, though. We don't know what happened to the guy on the side of the road after he recovered. I like the story if he went home, he made more stuff, he traveled in a pack. But we know what happens to us after we're recovered on the side of the road. Our enemy, who is now our friend, says to us, Hey, got a job for you. I want you to go out as a rescue squad. I want you to travel this dangerous road that we'll call life, staying on the straight and narrow bumpy path that I put you on. And I want you to keep your eyes open because you're going to see a lot of people on the side of the road busted up and bloodied and half dead. A lot of people that are going to have an eternity separated from me. And I can go and do this myself, folks, says Jesus, but I choose you. And through the Holy Spirit who I will send to dwell in you will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm going to do the work, but you're going to be the vessel through whom I work most often. And when you hear a moan behind a rocky crag, get over there. I don't care what other people do. You do what I say. Because I love you, you're able to love me. Because you understand what I did for you and who you were. You won't be able to help but do it. So, uh, I hear a moan, go. You know where we live. We live on the bloody way. The road not between Jerusalem and Jericho, but between birth and eternity. And where we go depends on who stops to help us. How do you pass? Well, let's do it this way. Two roads. If I'm driving, I'm going to speak for me. If I'm driving down the Pennsylvania Turnpike later today, and I see a car broken down on the side of the road, do you know what? I'm not going to stop and help. Why the heck would I? Cell phones, state troopers, rest stops, the people will be fine, won't they? I mean, really, how often do you stop for a car broken on the side of the road? You always go, oh, they're just throwing up or something. They'll be fine and they'll move on. We don't want to get involved. We can make excuses, and the reality is there has never been a person I know of who has starved to death or bled out on the side of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. But let's go on a rural backwoods road in North Dakota in a true February with a big blizzard rolling through. A road that nobody travels down, and a car is broken down. And there's a lady all by herself in the car. Ain't no help coming. But by chance, you happen to pass by. If you don't stop, she will almost certainly die. She will freeze to death and die. Do you stop? Of course. What kind of wicked, sick person wouldn't stop to help a lady dying on a road in North Dakota in the dead of winter? Right? What's this world more like? People stopping all the time to tell everybody about Jesus. Now, I never heard the gospel until I was in my 20s. I grew up in New York City. There are a couple people that live there. No one ever said to me, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know who Jesus truly is and what he did for you? Nobody ever told me this. So while for all intents and purposes you would think in a Christian country with 80% of our nation loving Jesus, at least according to polls, there must be a lot of people hiding that I haven't met. No one ever stopped and loved me enough to say, hey, can I help you? You seem to be in a bit of trouble. Now sure, I may have been a fool and said, I am in no trouble. I am bleeding out, but I'll be okay. I will take care of myself. 
I was spiritually blind, but who knows how God might have used it. I never heard the gospel. This world, this life is very much like the deserted North Dakota road in the middle of February. Guess what, rescue crew? There ain't a lot of people coming up the road behind us. <coughs> now, I'm not saying someone's eternal destiny rests completely on you, but I'll make the audacious claim that you play a part in it. Because if, if you're a lifeguard, let's say, at the beach, and, and someone's drowning, you ever see this one play out? Oh, thank goodness God's got him. I just ate lunch. God wants him to live. He'll grab him. If he doesn't, they'll die. Doesn't matter what I do. Who am I? I'm not God. I can't control that. Yeah? You want that lifeguard on your watch? I want you in the water. Whatever it takes, get me out. Right? Let's go with eternal significance. Oh, there's somebody on the side of the road dying. God's got it. Doesn't matter. I know he tells me to go out and save him. Doesn't matter. I'm not God. You want to go that route? Which is this life more like? North Dakota? Pennsylvania? You understand who you were on the side of the road? You understand Jesus says, get back out on the road, my friend. I got work for you. The choice we make is, do we go with the masses and make excuses and not touch them? Or do we go the other way and kneel down and have compassion and get bloody and get messy and deal with whatever might come for God's glory? Let me ask you a question. How do we pass by? What does that look like in our lives? Sometimes these people physically don't look bloody and naked and stripped down, do they? Sometimes they look healthy and robust and happy as a cat. But they don't know Jesus. How do we pass by? Oh, man, I'm not, I can't talk to them about Jesus. I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. It'll go bad. They won't be my friend. I don't want to, you know what? I don't want to get messy with that because then I'm going to be the freaky Jesus neighbor and it's all going to go bad. It's going to go bad for my kids and I, I'm just going to pass on by because somebody else is coming. You know what? Pastor John could come up here and do it for me. He's all talking about talking to Jesus all the time and talking to people about Jesus. I'll call him and we'll see what he wants to do with it. Please don't do that, because then I have to come after this sermon, and I'll tell him, Chris, or, or you know, Asper, or Renee called me and said that I... <laughs> but let's not assume somebody else is coming. You just shared a story of someone who died in their sleep. I don't know the person, I don't know their relationship with God, but you understand the reality of the fact that if that person didn't love Jesus, it ain't never going to get no worse than it is right this moment, and that carries on forever. I couldn't leave a lady dying in North Dakota. Why? If she loves Jesus and dies, it's not a problem. But how wicked to, to be negligent. With an eternal perspective, I don't know if it could get more wicked. Could it? We need to understand, we travel down a desolate, lonely, dangerous road with a mission. So what do you do? Depends on how clearly we understand who we are. See, this is what we often forget. We were bloodied and dead on the side of the road facing an eternity separated from God. That's crazy. We, we could ignore that, can't we? We can get dulled down in, in this, the context of the world we live in and just not think about it and focus just on temporal things. But the reality is we were separated from God for eternity. Depends on how clearly we know that, how clearly we see that day by day, and how thankful we are for it, which leads to the second thing. What we do depends on how well we know Jesus. The better you know Jesus, the better you understand. He's not saying, look, look, I'm so mad. Do you know how much it hurt when I got nailed to the cross because of you idiots? Now you're going to suffer too. And you're going to go out and be miserable. I'm going to take all your stuff away because if you're going to heaven, darn it, you're going to be miserable before you get there because it really stunk and hurt when I died. 
That's not what he says. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He's saying that as we know him, we see how loving and kind he is and understand his desire for us isn't to beat us down or make us miserable, but it's rather to build us up and give us true joy. And in some strange way, he's saying, if you want to know joy, go tell somebody how much I love them. And you see this strange thing happen. It's like, wow, that's really cool. Because when you see a dead person restored to life, it doesn't get much better than that. You know, once I stopped to, to help, hopefully more than once, but on a particular occasion, I was at the deli with my father. And we were coming out, and this really old lady, uh, really old, she, was, she dated Abraham Lincoln in high school. She got out of the car, and she fell and whacked her head on the curb. And the entire place on the sidewalk like went into this catatonic panic. The ladies bleed, and she like had that awkward thump of her head. Her daughter gets out of the car, but forgets to put it in park. So the car begins to roll back towards this old lady, and everyone's just staring there going, ah! I don't remember exactly what happened, but somehow I got the car stopped before it rolled the lady and helped her up with my dad. And she was fine afterwards. She was quite a bit of a mess physically. But in a completely self-focused way, it felt pretty good. It feels good to help somebody out. I mean, this lady could have died, and if it wasn't for super me, she would have died. And I am the good Samaritan. It feels good to help people. God made us that way. Do you know how much better it feels to help somebody see the truth of who Jesus is because he works through you? But it depends on how we see ourselves, how well we know Jesus, and how fully we understand what an eternity separated from God really is and what an eternity with God truly is. Here's what the parable of the Good Samaritan says to you and to me. Remember Fran? Friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors? Jesus is saying, all right, guys, this theologian, he had no idea. You see those, you see those blind eyes and deaf ears? He flat missed it. He wanted the loophole. You guys know there's no loophole. You know you're saved by grace through faith and not by works. You love me because I loved you and I call you friend and you can call me friend and we both, we, we got a daddy in heaven. It, life is good. We're in an eternal relationship. It's called eternal life. You got it. Now, you should start to know how much I love other people. You know how much I loved you? I love everybody. And I don't want anybody to be separated from me for all of eternity. So I have a job for you. No excuses, no gimmicks, no programmatic structure. It's a really straightforward job. I want you to love your neighbor just like you love yourself. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're smart enough now to know you can't do it on your own, but you can do it through my strength and power. And I want you to understand how I see you and how I see them and go out because you're not going to understand this now. I could do this all by myself, but I choose to work through you. Go walk that road called life and stay focused. How do you stay focused? I want you to pray. I want you to pray, Father, open my eyes to see the, the moaning, dead, dying people on the side of the road. Guide me to them. Give me the words to speak to them. Help me love them. Give me a willingness to put myself aside and not seek to glorify me, but to glorify you and get down in the mud and help them at any cost. Help me to have credibility through my words and my deeds so that you might open their eyes through me for your glory. But lead me to them. And God, in the meantime, as I'm waiting to be led, equip me. 
Help me do the hard work of becoming equipped to give a reason for the hope that I have. And help me mature in my faith so that it's not just about words, but it's about the actions. I don't just know you by the words that have gone through my ears, but by the relationship I live in with you. So that when people look at my life, they may see my good deeds and come to glorify you. And help me look at every relationship I have for your glory. We were talking about this yesterday morning at breakfast. You guys don't understand how good we have it as a church. Most churches function within Christian circles only. Most Christian people have one non-Christian friend at most, and they tend to distance themselves from it because it just kind of messes up their Christianese world. You understand how cool we have it with, with everybody here has a large network of non-Christian friends. That isn't by chance. Do you see the use of Jesus' word? By chance. A Levite came by. There's no by chance with God. There's no coincidences. How cool that you and I have so many friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors who are busted up on the side of the road clear as day to know that we can go out and potentially help because God works through us. Now, don't try to go crazy and fix them all on your own today because that ain't going to work. But maybe God would let you through his strength and through his power. But start with prayer. Pay attention. Diligently do the hard work of equipping. And folks, love them. Now, obviously, that isn't going to work, and that you just take that and go do it now. You're going to notice, moving ahead, through, through the preaching of these parables that comes, and as I'm thinking more and more about the next Bible study, I think we've come to a place as a church in our maturation process where we need to get better focused in and better equipped on how do we actually and practically go out and love our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. How do we pull off this, this difficult work of, of functioning as God's rescue squad? How do we live with an intentionality for God's glory? But begin with prayer, begin with paying attention, begin with equipping, and begin by loving one another, and that's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is. You and I are not the Good Samaritan, but the Good Samaritan is now our friend. And the Good Samaritan lives in us and works through us and says, go out onto that bloody way and put somebody on your donkey named Grace. And bring them not to the end, but into the kingdom of God and realize it's not a work that you're doing on your own. It's me who's working in you, who I love so much that I gave my very life for you. Let's pray. Father God, good Samaritan, I thank you for the fact that you came down to us. That you knelt with compassion besides us. That you poured not oil and wine on us, but you shed your blood for us. That you restored us not to physical health, but regenerated us to spiritual new life through your strength, through your power, and for your glory. God, help us more fully understand that we were a dead, bloody wreck on the side of the road, and now we dwell in your presence as children of the Most High God from something far beyond the pig poop of the prodigal to something far beyond the ring robe and sandals that he wore when he returned is what we have received. Help us understand the immense, vast distance between where we were and to where we have come. And in light of that, understand your love more fully. And God, it takes a miracle, but give us a desire to travel that bloody way and live for your glory, not ours. Have your perspective and not a temporal one. And to see the people who may look physically quite well, even better than we do, and know that they are hurt and they are bleeding and they are dying and they are in need of a miracle 
And it is miracles which you do through us today as you open people's eyes to the truth. Help us not be conformed to this world. Help us not be like the masses that move to the other side of the road, but those courageous, vulnerable, God-loving fools for Christ who walk away from the masses and to those in need. Help us kneel beside them and pour out our love upon your love, which is in us, onto them as we understand how you love us and be willing to give it all for your glory, such that even one might be saved through your strength and power. God, that requires you to give us a focus, you to equip us, and, and you to guide us, and us to walk in obedience. God, I guess the choice is ours as children of yours. Do we walk to the other side of the road and avoid the messy stuff, or do we go where you guide us, towards our friends and relatives and associates and neighbors who don't know you, so that they might? God, please, please guide us clearly. Please work through us powerfully. Please help us desire nothing other than to serve you and to live for your glory and to understand that only through that will we know true joy, have true peace, and truly be able to stand before you one day and hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And on that very day, perhaps to look past your shoulder as you greet us, to see one of those people we stopped to help on the side of the road. And as you look back over your shoulder upon them and the grin grows on your face, and you look at us and say, Well done again. You followed where I led. You let me work through you and enter into my eternal celebration. Father, it is that day I pray that we all look forward to as we live on this side. In your name we pray. Amen.